The first reading is from Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. Therefore, sisters and brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll invite you to stand for the gospel reading. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what their master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask my father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The Gospel of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, empower us as your royal priests who tend to the new creation in this world. For the sake of Jesus, your Son. Amen. May be seated. So last week we commemorated the greatest acts of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, The question after the fact is, What did the death and resurrection of Jesus do exactly? What did the events of Holy Week do to us and to the world? There's lots of effects from it, and we will look only at one of them today. And one of the big things that came out of Holy Week is the reconstitution of a new priesthood. The reconstitution of a new priesthood. I know that's not, that doesn't sound all that exciting or relevant today. See, a new priesthood is not what uh, Christians would think of as the top ten most popular things that came out of Holy Week. But you know what? The, the Bible does talk about it at length, uh, especially in our reading from Hebrews. So let, let's look at it together. You can 
Grab your Bible. You can pull up your phone. There's one in front of you as well on your pew. We are in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 19. So after nine chapters of talking about who Jesus is and what he did, the writer of Hebrews is here now relishing, relishing the free access pass that Christians now enjoy in drawing near to God. Christians now have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now being close to God is something that we as Christians may have taken for granted. See, but for the writer of Hebrews, there was so much baggage baked into their understanding of closeness to God. So you see the early Christians, they were mostly Jews at the time, they drew their understanding of closeness to God from their most restricted and most important cultic ritual. That is when the Jewish high priest went into the holiest and most dangerous room in the temple. See, the most dangerous room is called the most holy place. That's where you would encounter the visible, almost material presence of God. We're not sure how he showed up, almost like a cloud, as it were. The most holy place, it was sectioned off from the rest of the building by a thick curtain. And embroidered on this curtain are images of cherubim, these mythic creatures that first appeared in the Bible as these celestial bouncers of the Garden of Eden. See, cherubim, they blocked off entry into the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, the first human pair, they rebelled. They were cast aside, they were exiled from God's presence. And since that time, getting close to God would kill anyone just by virtue of difference. Just like the difference between cotton candy and the surface of the sun. You, can, you bring these two very different things together. You can just imagine what would happen. It's the same. It's the same with God and people when you bring them close together. Now, the people of Israel knew this firsthand. Uh, when Israel finally met God at that mountain at Sinai, the people freaked out. They didn't want to get anywhere close to the mountain, let alone hear the voice of God. It was too much. They insisted that someone else go before God on their behalf. It was, it was terrifying to get close to God. Now, to solve a bit of that problem, God gave the people a gift, a provision. They, he gave the people the tabernacle, the tabernacle. It was this uh, travel-sized portal to heaven, as it were. It's kind of like that wardrobe in Narnia. See, you could pack it up, and you could assemble it anywhere. The tabernacle was also intentionally designed to be a replica of a garden, of a paradise. See, the inside decor, as the Bible puts it, they had palm trees inside, pomegranates, these branches and vines and leaves, flowers and almond blossoms. And then inside the temple, the tabernacle, are these lampstands, the Jewish menorah. They were shaped like uh, the almond tree. See, the tabernacle was this mobile garden of Eden, as it were, heaven on earth on wheels for the people of Israel to draw near to God while, while they traveled along the desert. The tabernacle was eventually replaced, was fixed by the temple in Jerusalem. 
And it was the safest point in space to getting anywhere near to God. But there was only one safe point in time that Israel was allowed to get close to God on the Day of Atonement. And only one person could do it from Israel. He had to be the eldest male descendant of Aaron, and he was from the tribe of Levi. So this Jewish high priest went into the most dangerous room in the temple, offering incense, sprinkling the blood of the animal sacrifice to atone for Israel's sins, the sins of the nations. But before that high priest could go in, he had to get himself ready, cleaned up before showing up in front of God. He, you could picture him, he was just like this astronaut suiting up to step out into space because space was full of cosmic radiation because high priests would literally step into heaven. That's what the most holy place represented. You're stepping into heaven, into space, into the presence of God. And if he did not do things correctly, he could die. Though this was an exclusive, restrictive, a dangerous event for anyone to get close to God. Then we hear the writer of Hebrews say, we now have confidence, confidence to enter that holy place by the blood of Jesus. Because of what happened on Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, getting close to God means you don't have to be a specific dude or a specific guy going in in a specific way, at a specific time, at a specific place. Anyone can now get close to God anywhere, anytime, any place by a new and living way through the curtain, as the writer of Hebrews says, a new and living way through the curtain. The curtain. One of the Gospels, biography of Jesus, recorded that when Jesus died, someone saw the curtain that sectioned off that most dangerous room in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The tearing from the top, it symbolized that it was God in heaven who tore that way open. The writer of Hebrews then says that that curtain was in fact the flesh, the body of Jesus that was torn as it were on the cross. Jesus here is being presented as the superior high priest who offered himself as that superior sacrifice before in front of God, in the presence of God. And so now what kept people and God apart has now been removed. That barrier has been removed, opening up a new and living way to that most holy place, opening up a way into heaven. All right. So what does this have to do with the reconstitution of a new priesthood? See, our reading from Hebrews isn't just saying that anyone now can, in fact, have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus. Our reading was written, again, in light of the Jewish high priest going into heaven, getting a blessing from there by offering up incense and blood. And once he got that blessing from heaven, he didn't sure that he would get it. But once he gets it, he gets out of heaven. He goes back to earth. Then he blesses the people with the blessings of heaven, the blessing of forgiveness, reconciliation, atonement, 
the forgiveness of sins, the renewed covenant relationship with God. That was an arduous ordeal to go through. But so now, since that curtain has now been torn, it doesn't have to be like that anymore. It rather, heaven has now exploded out of that most holy place from the temple, and it's spilling out all over the world. God's space is flooding everywhere into our space, human space, the earth's space. You may have read in your Bible, there were many visions in the Old Testament of these rivers, floods, and streams of living water that's bursting, bubbling out of the temple. It submerges the deserts, submerges the dry places. It transforms them into this greenery, this lush garden paradise, oasis. That's what happened on Good Friday. And this is where the priesthood comes in. Contrary to popular Christian notions, that Jewish pri- the, the Jewish priesthood did not become obsolete. <laughs> no, rather its sacrificial function became obsolete. But not the vocation, not the role itself. The priesthood was reconstituted for a different purpose, for the new covenant. A new kind of ordination as, as it were uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's no longer just for the male sons of Aaron. It's no longer just for the Levites. Anyone, anyone, any person who believes in Jesus has become a functionary of heaven being brought out, being flooded. You're streaming heaven into earth. You're guiding it, a purveyor, a dispenser of heavenly goods and blessings into this planet. Remember the tabernacle, the temple being a replica of Eden? I, I think it's better for us. It would be helpful, in fact, for us to think or imagine the priesthood as, as a society of gardeners. Gardeners. It's a very appropriate reflection this season of spring, right? In the season of Easter. Earlier on in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they were created originally to be appointed as priests of creation. They were gardeners in Eden. They were endowed, they were given the image of God to bear in order that they may mirror, they were mirrors of God to reflect heaven to earth. They were reflecting the blessings of heaven into the earth. That's what they were supposed to do, but they failed. But through Jesus Christ, if you've been made priest, a royal priest in the name of Jesus, you are a priest of the new covenant. You are a Christian Remade in the image and reflection in the mirror image of Jesus Christ. You're now a gardener who sow the kingdom of heaven, the seeds of the kingdom of heaven here. You are tending to the shoots, the saplings of the new creation in this place. How exactly do we become priestly gardeners? For the writer of Hebrews, Christians get ordained. They get ordained as priestly gardeners by baptism, by baptism. He says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. This is borrowing from that image, the Jewish image of the high priest, getting himself ready, bathing himself before going into that most dangerous room in the temple. Baptism cleanses us, consecrates us, sets us apart for the work of 
of priestly gardening. This morning, we are witnessing this sort of ordination of Noah Turner. Uh, To be clear, this is not an ordination into the Anglican priesthood. He's not going to be working for the Diocese of Toronto. Rather, it's the universal ordination of all baptized Christians. The whole church set apart and consecrated for this work of gardening of the priesthood. And then later tonight, at our evening service at 6.30, there is another member of our community. His name is David Acosta. He's going to be taking up these same ordination vows again for that same work. And we're praying as a church that with God's help, Noah himself will grow up to choose for himself this call as a priestly gardener of heaven, of new creation in the name of Jesus. And same for David later tonight, for him to reuptake this call for himself too. And in fact, we will be invited later on in the service to join with them, to join with the godparents, with the parents, in making the same vows as a society of gardeners here at Little T. Now, I I had a glimpse of what a small pocket garden of heaven on earth uh, could look like. Um, I was quite excited uh, as I was immersed in this experience during my trip to London, England last month. I I wrote about it in the print magazine. Uh, Tim and I visited a saint church. The name is Saint Church in the Hackney District in the city of London. It was a neighborhood uh, racked historically with extreme poverty, social inequality, and violence, uh, particularly uh, notorious for stabbings among teenagers. And then since the few decades that St. Church existed in the area, it was a church plant from Holy Trinity Brompton, that neighborhood of Hackney has been changed, has been transformed from the inside out. For example, St. Church now hosts this vibrant daycare program in a mom's group. They call it Hey Baby in their church building. It invites as many as 700 plus mothers and parents in the area to connect every Monday, many of whom are single moms in the area. The church also has this community garden that's open to local residents to grow their own fruits and vegetables. In these gardens as well, there are these honeybees, there are these hives that are kept being managed by this local uh, local beekeeper. The honey that's produced is collected, processed, and then distributed to the market square. The church also has a brew pub. It's called Hackney Church Brewing Company, where they brew their own beer. Sounds very monastic here. They host live events and talks, gets the whole community together for conversations and chats. The church also has this social assistance center called Lighthouse. Uh, They have ministries that range from hot lunches to street-involved people, prison ministry, and they have uh, courses that they teach about floristry, how to make bouquets out of flowers. And then their most recent initiative, it's called Renaissance. It's a think tank hub for creatives in the area. Hackney apparently is the most densely populated neighborhood of artists in all of Europe. And the vision of Renaissance is to gather and equip artists to metaphorically build this cathedral of creativity. That is, it will be in partnership with the church. It will be aligned with the creative purposes of their creator, God. I could go on. These are just examples. Some examples of how deeply 
grassroots St. Church is in Hackney. Now, if we could imagine all of these initiatives and projects disappearing suddenly from Hackney. No gardens, no bees, no honey. There's no pub. There's no more church building. So there's no more concerts, no, no more Sunday worship. There's no daycare. There's no mom's group. There's no arts event, uh, no prison ministry, no hot lunches to the homeless. There's a lot. There's a lot that Hackney would lose. That's how much St. Church became so vital, so rooted into the soil, into the life of Hackney. Or should I say, that's how much God created something new, gave a bit of heaven down to earth, that plot of land, growing these garden pockets of heaven in the area by the slow, faithful, tilling work of priestly gardeners, ordinary people who live in the area of St. Church. Can you imagine the same for this neighborhood around Little T, around Corktown, Canary District, Old Town Toronto, around the distillery districts, even your own neighborhoods where you live? Can you imagine those things happening? How can we be equipped for that same work of gardening, of priestly gardening here in the city of Toronto? The writer of Hebrews gives us three encouragements, and we'll just go through them quickly. Three encouragements. Number one, let us draw near. Let us draw near in verse 22. The writer invites us to draw near to God, not just as individuals, yes, but as a society of priests who are offering up our collective praises together. It's so significant that we gather on Sundays that we can use our voices to sing that we could use our voices to pray out loud, pray for each other, to be nourished by word and sacrament. See, Sunday worship, it actually reorients us to that work of gardening the new creation in the city. Because this is inevitable, through the rest of your week, our week, we will forget. We will forget about our work. We will get tired, so exhausting. We'll, we'll get lazy. We'll veg. We'll, we'll get grumpy. We'll, we'll get busy with our own stuff, as important as they are. But we will forget that bigger work of gardening the city for a new creation. Sunday brings us back to that joy of our greater purpose when we see together the face of Jesus Christ. As we hear and listen to the word, we see the face of Jesus Christ. We had the bread and the wine, we see the face of Jesus Christ. We are singing together, we see the face of Jesus Christ. We fall in love of the God who gave us new life to give it away. We fall in love together of this Jesus Christ. That's why we draw near. We draw near to God. The way has been opened. We draw near. We don't have to be afraid. It's not lethal anymore. We are children of God. Draw near to God. See the face of His Son. Be enraptured. Be in love. Share that love to others. Let's draw near in worship. Number two, let's hold fast to confession of our hope, hold fast. In verse 23, holding fast to confession can also mean have a tight grip of what we say together at the same time in the same way. Literally holding the same word. That's what it means, holding the same word. That's what we keep doing 
each week, not just whenever we say the Apostles' Creed, but in all of the words of the liturgy, the order of service, the prayers, the Eucharistic communion prayer. It's, it's what we do. We're rehashing, in fact, the gospel story. What we do on Sundays is storytelling. We are narrating. We are telling a story, a story that we so often forget. And that's why we're saying it to ourselves, but we're saying it to one another as well. We're narrating the liturgy. We're rehearsing this drama of salvation to one another. Much later on, we will hold fast that same word, that confession again in the vows of our baptismal covenant. Hold to the same word. Lastly, number three, let's consider how to stir one another. Stir one another in verse 24. As we're drawing near to God, we are also drawing near to each other. It's like a triangle. You're drawing near to God, you're drawing near to each other. And we're all in the same race, the same marathon. And we're running side by side. And we will see some people lagging. We will see people behind us. And what do we do? We go back for them. We touch base. We reconnect. We check in. We ask questions. That may be too uncomfortable. We give them water to drink. We stoop down. We crouch down with them. We help them up. Use your arms. Get onto the ground. Carry each other's burdens. This is the law of Jesus. We don't overtake each other. It's not a competition. We are helping all of us to finish the course. And when we're together, we are better to love. We are better to serve. And it's just way more fun that way. Right? It's just way more fun to be doing things together. It's way easier to give, to sacrifice together as a people than to just do it on your own as your little uh, individual project. As good as that is, but do it with others. Invite others with you. Invite your neighbors. Invite those people in your floor. Do the stuff together. Let's be thoughtful and intentional to see all of us side by side, hand in hand, keeping at it for that same goal, reaching that finish line together. Let's draw near. Let's hold fast. Let's stir one another. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we have become ordained as a society of royal priests. We have been washed as gardeners of heaven on earth. We've been bathed and baptized. We're like little plants. So this is where the the metaphor kind of gets mixed up. We are plants. We're being nourished, growing up to be a tree. As gardeners as well, we're baptized by the water and the Holy Spirit. Let's therefore tend to the garden of heaven in Toronto as all the earth is being swept up, being swept up by the flood of new creation. It's spilling out from the innards of that most holy place from the curtain, through that curtain of the torn flesh of Jesus Christ. Because he will come again. He's going to make everything so green, so colorful, so vivid. These colors will never be washed out. And one day we will see them with our own eyes. And we will rejoice and weep and laugh and laugh and laugh. This is all for us. This is all for the world. This is all for the glory of God, our Father, To him be glory forever and ever in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.